This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. We talk a lot about getting clarity on what your one thing is, time blocking your one thing, protecting your time block. That's how you start with the one thing. And we know from standing in front of thousands of people when we talk and do trainings, if we asked you to raise your hand, if you have time blocked ever, meaning you've scheduled time with yourself for your most important work, every single one of you would probably raise your hand. And if we said, keep your hand up, if and only if you are the type of person who regularly time blocks and protects that time like the air they breathe and defend it and crush every single distraction that pops up, most hands would go down. Why is that? In this episode, we would suggest to you that part of that is because we're not as great at keeping the promises we make to ourselves and to others. The person you are going to meet today, this idea of making a promise started as an idea that has turned into a movement, a movement called Because I Said I Would. We originally had him on as part of our monthly One Thing webinar series where every month we bring on a best-selling author to share their book with you. In this case, we brought on this person to talk about their book, Because I Said It Would, because we think that if you can get a little bit more intentional and be a little bit more purposeful about the promises that you make when you are planning your time and the commitments that you make to others, that everything else would become easier or unnecessary. With that, let's get into this conversation with founder of Because I Said I Would and author of the Because I Said I Would book, Alex Sheen. I feel really fortunate because I get the opportunity to work with so many amazing people in our community and our customers and get to be a part of their world. And they trust me with being a part of their goals. And more often than not, almost everyone is focused on health. And at the core of that is diet and eating a balanced diet. But eating this kind of diet, it's a huge time commitment and it's easy to get knocked off track. That's why it's so great to have a solution when you don't have the time to do the prepping and the cooking and the cleanup, but you still wanna eat healthy. That's why we partner with Factor. And Factor is chef-created, dietitian approved meals that are ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor, there's no prep, no mess meals, Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. The variety of different options and meals that they have is really impressive, but go see for yourself. Head to factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150 to get 50% off. That's code 150 at factormeals.com slash 150 to get 50% off. Alex Sheen, welcome to the webinar. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. So give people who, who don't know what Because I Said I Would is, give us a sense of what this movement is about. Yeah. My dad was, was somebody who was good with a handshake. You know, if he, if he said he was going to be there, he showed up. He's kind of old school like that. It seems like a lot of people uh, these days or maybe in just the history of time, it seems like a lot of people don't keep their promises. And that has a huge effect on society. But my dad you know, honored the commitments that he made to me and, and to my brother. Unfortunately, my father would be diagnosed with stage four small cell lung cancer. He he quit smoking three years before he was diagnosed, but it was it was too late. And my father died on September 4th of 2012. Because I said I would is the title of his eulogy. 
And on the day of his funeral, I introduced this thought called a promise card, just a simple piece of paper. It says, because I said I would on the back, there's nothing else. What you do is you write a promise on the card, you give it to someone, you tell them, I'm going to fulfill this promise. And when I do, I earn this card back. It's a symbol of my honor, my respect. It is my property. And I'm going to get it back from you. And you, when you fulfill that commitment, you just keep it as a reminder that you're a person of your word. Uh, I offered to send 10 of these promise cards to anybody anywhere in the world at no cost to anyone, which uh, is the dumbest financial decision I've ever made in my whole life. Um, we've distributed <laughs> over 10 point, uh, 10.3 million promise cards to 153 countries and by request only. And people write all kinds of commitments on on the card. It's something that just holds us accountable to the words that we say. That's amazing. For for people who are listening to this, if they're going, well, I want a promise card, how do they get one? Yeah, just go to because I said I would dot com slash promise cards and, and you can you can get yours today. You know, we always send them for free. People write a range of things on them. It could be a four-year-old girl who says, you know, I'm, I'm gonna sleep in my own room tonight, you know, her badge of courage type of thing, because we we are all have gotten through that at one point in our lives, but it could be things that are also extremely serious. Like uh, I will not kill myself. You know, I just had a, there's a Marine in my office just a couple hours ago. And, you know, we we're talking about this number. Um, it used to be 22. Now it's 20, 20 veterans a day die of suicide. And, uh, and so it's not really about any particular cause. It's about what we're going through and the promise that's going to get us through that. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to kind of that that's that's where this began. That was the lead domino, right? The the eulogy for your father. I want to fast forward to today, where you've shipped out over 10 million of these cards. You've built a movement, a real community around this idea of because I said I would. Can you share some stories of some of your people in terms of the types of promises that they've made and kept? Yeah, you know, one that comes to mind. It's kind of a tough one, but for a few reasons, it resonates with me. We we have this uh, supporter. Her mother, while she was growing up, was an incredible woman. You know, she was she grew up in the late seventies into the eighties, and so her mom being there for her was something that she you know she just remembers. But when our supporter, when she turned about twelve or thirteen, her mom uh, slowly went down a spiral into alcoholism. That would define really the rest of her her life, and as that addiction um, would catch up to her, her liver began to fail in a way that the only cure was a, a transplant. And so she was hospitalized for this condition, and eventually made it to the top of the organ donation list, like to be the recipient, uh, which is is obviously incredible news. But all this time, as this was happening. Uh, she was actually stayed in the same room with another person. You know, hospitals are often like that. Mm-hmm. And so this mom would see this little boy who is waiting for an organ donation himself. Completely different organ, had nothing to do with her. But she saw that suffering of that family day in and day out. And, and she understood what was going to happen to that boy should that organ never come. And as those thoughts would seep into her mind, she began to imagine a far-off child in another city, another place, waiting for the same organ that she was waiting for, that liver. And uh, eventually, those thoughts would become too heavy for her to bear. Uh, she requested respectfully to be removed from the organ donation list. She denied that transplant, and she passed away. 
her daughter wrote a promise card um, several years later that she would get over her fear of, of blood donation of needles and donate for the first time. Because in the short amount of time that they did get together as mother and daughter, because of blood transfusions, donations, people's kindness. And while it wasn't everything that our supporter wanted in the time that she hoped for to just have with her mom, she understood the decision that her mom made and respected that. Hmm. I keep coming to this idea of making a promise, whether you're making it to yourself or whether you're making it to someone else. And in in the stories that you're sharing, you know, there's real weight to it. Like you can just yeah. tell that it's, it's there's there's an underlying thread of commitment there. Yet when we look to society today, lots mm. of promises are made. What are you seeing that a promise means in today's everyday use versus the way that yeah. you view it? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of things that are changing almost. The, I know it's a weird way to phrase it, but the market conditions of promises, like what is pushing more promises to be made or kept or broken? What are the dynamics of culture, not only in the United States, but around the world that are affecting this, this thought of being a person of your word? And one of those is, is, is actually obvious, but maybe not in the way that it's obvious, which is technology. Technology makes it very easy to make promises. So for example, let's say someone invites you to a party or something, right? And they create a Facebook you know, event and then you just you could guess. You know? The easier it is to communicate a promise, the more promises you're going to make. The easier it is to donate, to eat donuts. The more donuts you're going to eat, and that's just a, that's human behavior. The more available something is, the more you're probably going to do it, you know? And so with, with being able to just say yes through emails, to click buttons, to make these promises, it, it doesn't even take words anymore. You know, It doesn't take looking someone in the face and saying it to them. It, it's a lot easier than that. And then so on the other side of that, when it comes time to either fulfill the promise or break it, how much easier is it that to do? You know, uh, I can just text and say, okay, sorry, I can't come. And then I don't even have to respond to the text that comes to me. It used to be that if you wanted to disappoint somebody, if that was something that had to happen, you had to look them in the face, you had to call them. You know, it used to be that if you went to the movies and you were agreeing to meet there, if you didn't show up, the person thought you were dead. You know, because they couldn't call you on your cell phone. You know, that didn't exist. And so, the level of accountability that we have is lower because we don't have to face our broken promises as much, and our ability to make promises has become so much easier, and thus volume has increased. Uh, or so I, I believe. How do you view a promise? Yeah, when when I look at a promise, to to, to be honest, almost almost obsessed, and uh, and that's actually not what I would recommend for people. It's just when you're the founder, because I said I would, when you wear the same shirt every day, there's a target on your back. You know, people. If I was even five minutes late for this webinar, I mean, you would understandably be like, oh yeah, because I said I would, guy. You know, and. And so I have to kind of live to this standard where I'm always thinking about the future. I'm always thinking about like, what's the next promise I'm going to accidentally break? I can't even live in the moment because I have to constantly predict and, and create plan Bs so that things don't go wrong. And, and so for me, a promise is quite honestly, probably more serious than I would even recommend. Mm-hmm. At the same time, 
if I were to say the, the average way that people treat promises, that is way, way lower than I would also suggest. So when I view a promise, I, I take it sometimes too literally, but uh, I think uh, in society, we could take it much, much more seriously. Break it down. What, what are the elements that go into making a promise? Yeah. Let's take a dictionary definition, right? Merriam-Webster dictionary, a statement telling someone you will definitely do something or something will certainly happen in the future, right? Uh, now, there's a couple of, of pieces and components to sort of almost the anatomy of this, this word. Now, the first portion is, is a statement. Okay, how, what's the medium in which you said it? And what was the statement literally itself? Some, we speak around 15,900 words a day according to a study from the University of Arizona at Tucson. And the medium, that statement, if I just say it to you, well, that escapes in the air. Maybe you remember it differently than I remember it, right? So a better statement is something that's actually written down, email, text. That document, that as, as litigious as that almost sounds, just even a one-sentence text can help keep us on the same page. So that's one part of what it means to, to make a promise. Is it just said? Is it agreed to? Is it signed? Is it written down? It, it could be a number of different things. But I think the, that's, that's probably obvious. What is maybe a little bit more philosophical or telling about what it really means to make a promise is this concept of the future. Okay. Now, if you look at, now you, when you look at just beings of all kinds, and I'm talking literally animals all the way to human beings, that thought of thinking about the future is a unique skill, a unique ability, a unique whatever you want to call it. Humans are almost solely capable of thinking about the future to the depth, certainly, that we can. And, and what a burden that is. You know, I mean, think about when you were literally in kindergarten. You were like, well, I got to be cool in fifth grade. And then I got to, when in middle school, I got to. And then, and then after that, I'm going to graduate. I got to graduate. That means I got to go to college because mom says I got to get education. I don't know what that means, but I got to do that. And then I got to marry someone. Uh, and then we're going to have kids. And then I got to make sure I pay that mortgage. I got to get the job. You're constantly thinking about the future. And, and that is a, a burden. So when someone says to you, this is what the future is, I promise you that this is exactly what's going to happen. That almost soothes a biological component of who we are. The frontal lobe in our brain is responsible for future planning. And when you have different um, conditions like uh, obsessive compulsive disorders or different things that worry a lot, you can see different activity in the brain. But my point being is that like promises are almost biological. Yeah. And I know you had talked about it. And I be- is this in the book? Because I said it would. Is the idea of the, the catalyst, the contemplation, the communication, the carry out, and the consequences? Yeah, when you look at that, that thought of the life cycle of a promise, right? What it takes for, you know, like a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, right? That contemplation phase is huge because what people end up doing most of the time, uh, maybe not most of the time, but a lot of the time, I think we've all done this even myself, uh, we communicate, then we contemplate. We say the thing and then we think, wait, am I actually available on Thursday at 4 p.m.? Because we didn't even look at our phone or our, we didn't check the calendar. We just communicated, then we contemplated. If you change that order of operations, if you just pause and think, and that's actually a, a, a something I recommend, ask for more time, right? Just say, can I, can I get an hour to think about that? Or let me check my phone real quick. That's one of my first moves, like almost muscle memory. It's like when I'm about to make a promise, I have to grab my phone and, and flip through the calendar because how could I make a promise without, without that? So 
Yeah, I agree with you. This this thought that um, it, it comes in a process and phases. It's it's not it's not so simple. If keeping promises was simple, then everybody would do it. You know. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's that's worth drilling or just reemphasizing. I think a lot of us make the commitment. Yes, I will attend that meeting. Yes, I will help you when you ask if you got a minute. Yes, I'm available. And then we contemplate whether or not we can actually fulfill. Yeah. At the heart, why do you think we do that? People pleasers, you know? And that's a good thing. People pleaser sounds like a negative label. You want to make people happy? That's not a bad thing, you know? And we have this intuition to to, to want to help others. And, And helping others is yes. Helping others is not no. You know, in in our in our reactions and in, in our our hearts, but that's actually in itself not always true. Because if I make a promise to you, and you're planning your whole day, week, you know, you're you're, you're saying, well, they're going to be there, and so I'm going to plan around that, and then you end up not showing up. That moment of people pleasing, you're, you're not serving anybody. You're going to disappoint yeah. that person way more than a well structured no. Uh, in that moment, and that's that's one of the big pieces of being a person with your word is is having what we call the courage of no. Yeah, and this is in the one thing Gary and Jay write about the thieves that stop us from truly being productive, and one of them is the inability to say no. And when we work with our members in our community, they all have clarity on what their priorities are. They do a weekly four one one, and. Even though they have clarity on their priorities, even though they open up their planner and their digital calendar and they time block their priorities, they still struggle because mm-hmm. the emails are piling up, the meeting requests never end, and people are always stopping by and asking, Hey, do you got a minute? And they just don't know how to say no. Mm-hmm. Now, you, on the other hand, you're the you're the face of because I said I would. You are the man who makes and keeps promises, which when you are saying yes to one thing, you're saying no to everything else. What does it look like to gracefully say no and still help people toward their goals? Yeah, I think that graceful part, we can't be too attached to, meaning there is a more (laughs) graceful way to do it. There's always a better way to do it, but that doesn't mean it's going to come off across as graceful. Because one part of just living whatever it is people expect me to be they expect me to make promises, not only just to keep promises. They're, when they hear a no, they're like, but you're the guy who makes promises. You're not going to make a promise to me right now? It's like, no, because they, they haven't had the context of the dialogue we just had. They just expect the guy who makes promises to make promises, you know? And I guess that makes sense, but that's not how it works behind the scenes. So this thought of it being graceful is important, but not always is it going to meet the standard that we we hope. Like this person is going to leave this conversation happy with your no. It's just, we can't get tied to that thought because I have not figured out how, how to make that happen. Yeah. So you can make it better though. You can make your no's more digestible. And, and here's a, a, a thought or two. The first is to have pre-formulated sentences, right? Literally just one sentence that your your go to no sense, and when you get that down, it becomes a, an easy way to be respectful, but also somewhat automatic. Because the yes slips out when we're embarrassed, or frustrated, uh, not frustrated. I, I'd say embarrassed or nervous or something like that. Yeah. The, the 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 person, the superior, the the friend, the nonprofit is asking you for something, and yeah, the best thing would 
B to say, yes, of course, that would be better for them. But that pre-formulated sentence gives you the, almost the courage of no automatically because it's just like your go-to. Yeah. So one of the things that I say is, you know, it would be, be kind of easy to say yes right now, and, but I really just respect you too much to make a promise that I'm not going to keep. Whether it's saying no to your friends or your family members, people who will understand you, you've got to say no to sometimes little things that will even perk up people's ears and be like, why did you say no to that? Like, that's so simple. It's people are, it's, it's a weird moment when they hear no. But you where, where is it safe for you to practice that um, in a way that's productive? Think about, share a story of a time where somebody was requesting something of you and you gave your go-to no statement, but they pushed. And what did that look like? Because I think yeah. this is where if we get into the tactical examples of, of how you have done this and people, if they hear the dialogue, that's yeah. going to help them a lot. Yeah. So uh, I get, uh, just because of the nature of uh, the organization and, and the speaking that I do, you know, we get between 600 and 1,000 speaking engagement requests you know, a year. And <clears throat> with that is a ton of no's because I can only do about 130 or 40 of them because I physically can't move my body fast enough. So I have to say no to a lot of very deserving things. That's really hard because you know, 100% of my speaking engagement, if you go to the charity, our character education program in schools and prisons or volunteer projects, we'll go into it now. But sometimes I have to say yes to something that I don't necessarily want to go to as much as I'm saying no to the other thing. So what I mean by that is maybe there's, you know, the nation's largest conference for XYZ or whatever, right? And, and I have to say yes to that because the speaking engagement feeds in a fuel charitable program. But the charitable event that wants me to come speak, I have to say no to because I've got to keep the funding going for the programs that we do. And it's not that I don't care about this charity. In fact, I care more about it than, than the other events. It's just the way life is. I, to keep the lights on, to help other people, I can't do everything for everybody. And, and that's hard for even me to digest. So it's especially hard for that other person to, to hear that. And so as that, your thought about kind of like mocking out what that dialogue might sound like, it's, it, a lot of it is, is got to be centered on your values. And I know that's maybe like a uh, cheesy way or a common way to say things, but you've got to recenter your reason why you're saying no, mm. right? Because on the surface, yes, you can just go do this thing. But behind that or beneath that service is a deeper reason. So the, the conversation might go, well, Alex, you know, this is, this is, I know how much you care about suicidal teens. This is an event for literally 150 suicidal teens. The counselors are going to be there on site. They've been going through this thing. And I know that, you know, you're dedicated to the betterment of humanity through promises made and kept. What's the, what, what could be a better promise to make? Then to, to come here with us, we'd love to have you. You know, it's on April 3rd. Your assistant slipped it out to me already. She told me that you're available. Can You can come, right? I mean, that's so hard. That moment right there is so hard. But the truth is, all the funding that I'm going to get is going to go to the charity that makes it even possible for us to exist for that other event in any way. That, that we can send promise cards or t-shirts or that we can send books or something like that. This Life ain't easy. You know, whoever told you life is easy lied to you. That's what my mom used to say. So you've got to come to that moment to know that, no, I can't go to that particular event. But yes, I go to tons of other charity events. Yes, 
we are constantly giving funding programming away. And, and just because that one no doesn't mean I've said no to everything before. I can't let that single moment of challenge and unfortunate, uh, the unfortunate nature of the moment overshadow all the other things that you've said yes to. And that's part of this, that, that coming back to your values. It's like that person almost wants to take that moment. Not that they want to be judgmental, but it's just the heat of the moment kind of thing, right? They want to say, well, oh, well, you said no to this. You're not really charitable. You're not really committed to this or that. Well, when I come back to my values and, and how I spend my time, I can show you my calendar of where I go, what I give, and all those things. So I can't let that pressure of that moment overshadow really how I'm making decisions all the time. So and, let me, let me, I don't let me, know if that makes sense, but it's, it's how yeah, it's sure. So I want to go high level and kind of recap it for people. I, I heard two things yeah. that I think are very helpful when it comes to saying no. First is having a go-to no statement. Like I love yours of, man, it would be so easy to say yes to that. And I, I have too much respect to you for you to make a promise that I'm not sure I can keep. Yeah. Can I circle back? Or I'm not going to be able to do that. I also heard being clear on the why behind your saying no. The reason you're saying no, the purpose behind all of it, because then when it gets hard, it's still more mission based. Now, when when we had talked on the phone, you were saying that there were some times that people were on the phone with you and they were still pushing and they were still going after it. And you had some scripts that you had used that mm-hmm. were kind of like the trump card, like at the very end, like yeah, when you're still yeah. holding the ground, like how, how do you still say no? Yeah. I appreciate your passion for, for what you're going for. And that that's actually something I appreciate. I mean, literally, I'm the founder because I said I would. You know, commitment and driving towards something is something I talk about every day. So I, I appreciate that passion. But for some of the, the reasons I discussed, um, the decision is, isn't going to change. And again, I appreciate the opportunity, but I'm going to I'm going to have to say no. And then literally, if they say it again, I I mean, it seems uncomfortable. I will literally just say the same thing. I'll say, listen, I appreciate your your commitment to trying this, but as I said, this decision isn't. Isn't going to change, and uh, and I'll have to I have to say no to this particular moment, and and eventually it's like the person just gets it. Uh, now those these these uh, these moments aren't that common, but they are uncomfortable, and so it's good to sometimes you know have that. For you who's listening or watching this live, I want to draw the parallel because the reason that we wanted to have Alex on is we we work side by side with those of you who are in our Living Your One Thing community in terms of having clarity on how to do a 411 so that you know what your priorities are for the year. And based on that, what you're committing to that you're going to accomplish this month to be on track for your year. And based on that, the handful of priorities you're making a commitment you're going to accomplish this week to know that you're on track for your month, which means you're on track for your year and that your calendar reflects those. And then so many of us work in a corporate environment where we don't we're not 100% in control of our time. If you have a boss, priorities are changing. You're getting invited into meetings that you're wondering politically, can you say no? Emails are piling up and you're wondering about managing the expectation if, if it's been too long. People are stopping by asking if you got a minute and you want to be a team player. And so many of us, because we don't do the inner work of asking and having real clarity on what matters most to us and the purpose behind it, we just blindly say yes and react to everything and end up saying no to ourselves and our families. What's the one thing that you've heard Alex share so far that you think you can start doing? That if you just started doing that consistently moving forward, would make everything else easier or unnecessary. What would that be? 
Do you think that's the lead domino? Do you think you're going small enough? Or is there a domino before what you just said that if you knocked that down, that smaller domino would make knocking down what you just said easier or unnecessary? You hold yourself to this higher standard because that's what your whole movement is about. When you cut, when it comes to actually planning your weeks and being clear about what you're going to say yes to, which actually means something to you, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Yeah, uh, I have a, I average about twenty three calendar entries a day, um, so I'm I'm committing. I guess I mean I guess it's just like an analogy to a bank account or something, right? If someone told you, it was like, I'm budgeting my money, right? And I was a financial advisor, I don't know, whatever. And I'm talking to this person and they say, okay, well, this is how much money I spent on movies and groceries, right? So you can tell me how I'm spending, you know, you can tell me how much I'm spending my money. It's like, no, I need to literally know everywhere you spend your money in order for me to understand where you spend your money and how how to help you. And I feel this way about time because most people will only calendar their interactions, direct meetings with other human beings. Mm -hmm. They won't calendar uh, time to do independent tasks. That would be the next obvious place. They certainly don't calendar things like sleep or time to just mentally recharge. Like you need to take a break after working this long or or volunteering for the entire day. Or, you know, there's some reset button time. They're, They're not actually putting all those pieces in there. And then what ends up happening is then it becomes hard to know what you can do at all. Now, that sounds like an extreme statement, but if you've got five things to do after work on Thursday, but none of them are calendared, someone says on Thursday, can you do this thing? How do you know that physically those five things don't add up to the rest of your Thursday? You know, So then you end up saying yes, or maybe you do say no, but you could have done it. You know, it, it really helps to uh, to the math of your day and what you're physically capable of doing when you when you calendar things out. And so I calendar things like sleep. I get good sleep because I know good sleep helps keep me productive. I, as silly as this sounds, like schedule time to eat. Uh, you know, I have lots of meetings. I travel to about 100 plus cities a year. You know, 200 some plus planes, and it's just. It just zaps your whole day, and you'll accidentally go from one thing to the next thing. The next thing you're on the plane, and you're eating peanuts, you know, for dinner because uh, you forgot. Doesn't mean everybody needs to have 22 entries, but certainly more calendaring than just interactions with others. Uh, that next step is independent tasks. Yeah, um, sitting across me right now is Madeline, who ran point on the project. Yeah, you didn't know I was calling you out. Um, who ran point on the the one thing planner? And I asked, I gave her a small little challenge earlier this year. I said, "Go res- research the entire history of time." And she's <laughs> like, "Okay, okay, no big deal." <laughs> but she came back, and what she presented was a really interesting story because the way we do about time, you know, there was day, there was night, that was it. And then there was day, there was night, there was there was seasons, and then there was. Months because we started to notice the moon and early man knew so little about time and about humanity that they felt this need to go smaller and smaller to the point that you fast forward today, people are managing their calendars on in 15 minute increments, half hour increments. And we are so busy that we fail to pull back and make sure that we have time for the things that actually matter most. Yeah. 
And what I love that you said, what the, the, the spirit of what I heard you say is you have time blocked for yourself for the things that matter most, whether that's sleep, eating, your priorities for yourself, not just appointments with other people, which is what the modern digital calendar was actually designed to keep. Yep. Yeah. And there's a lot of shortfalls because of that. It's just uh, the, the actual technology itself doesn't always have the features and pieces that, that would lend to better calendaring as just individual type of stuff. But, um, but it's certainly capable of, of, of getting us further along than, than is seen sort of as a standard approach. So Yeah. Yeah, I get it. And the people who have been following the podcast or have been in the community for long enough have, have heard this. But Gary says, one of the reasons people don't achieve extraordinary over time, and especially when it comes to living the one thing, is they just don't endure the monotony of success. Yeah. You know, the, the, the things that they, the activities that are the perennial activities that you, the lead dominoes that you need to knock down consistently over time, novelty wears off. It gets boring. Like there comes a time where you just don't want to do it. And yeah. it's how you endure that monotony that matters. And that's why my favorite quote in the one thing is people do not decide their futures. They decide mm-hmm. their habits. Their habits decide their futures. How do we take those core activities and make them habits to the point that it would feel weird if we did not do it? Share, share another story of somebody in the community. It's just something that you know that it would just really amaze people. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to choose from. So here's here's one a story that I personally was connected to in, in a small way, but so Sam and Alex, uh, 23 years old, 25 years old at the time, this kind of story begins in a certain a certain way, or at least when I I um, saw them, I was flipping through Reddit, you know, just looking mindlessly looking at social media, and I saw these two like to be honest, really pretty girls, right? And I was like, oh, clickbait, whatever, and I'm like, well, maybe I should click on it. So, <laughs> so I click on this thing. And and this is what I basically part of what I, I hear. So this this girl Sam, when she was seventeen, she was diagnosed with a, a disease called severe aplastic anemia, and oh. and what that means is that her blood just doesn't produce in a way that can support her immune system. The only cure to this is is a bone marrow transplant. So um, taking bone marrow out and transplanting it into someone else to help create healthy cells. So the way that this works is not like a blood donation at all, okay? A blood donation, you could go down the street and find somebody more or less. This is like an exact DNA match. It's very, very difficult, but there's a bright side. Your family, your family literally shares so much of your DNA, you just go to them and there's a good coin flip chance that one of them does. So Sam's older sister, a couple of years older, is like, well, of course, we're going to figure this out. We'll all swab our cheeks, do the DNA test. And, and hopefully one of us are the match. They all do that um, to no avail. Uh, Sam has to take 20 pills a day, a day. And as this is, is, is progressing, there's a point in life where you have to kind of take things into your own hands. Uh, even if it's not going to work, you, you kind of have to go to bed at night knowing that you tried. So Alex and Sam at age 23 and 25, they sell all their stuff, sell their cars, and they buy this van. They make a promise. They say that they're going to go to each one of every single state and they're going to set up these tables to do bone marrow swabs just cheek, inside your cheek, just a little saliva to get people on the National Bone Marrow Donor Registry. And they fulfill this promise of going to every single state, signing up over 20,000 people, finding exact DNA matches for 113 people, literally saving those people's lives. 
However, no match is ever found for for Sam. And to this day, she takes those 20 pills in hopes that somebody, maybe even someone who's listening to this uh, podcast, this webinar right now, makes the promise to to sign up, to swab their cheek, to to be that match. And, it, and it's a commitment like that that tells us a lot about life. Because when you read it on, on this post or you see some of our work together, uh, subsequent to us meeting and everything, you know, it looks like inspirational. You see it on the Steve Harvey show or whatever. It's great, right? Yeah, that's not how it feels like when you're at a table and there's like five kids walking by, two of them ignore you completely. One literally makes fun of you because they won't want to, they don't even have the patience to listen to what you have to say. Because every single person who walks by you, you think that was it. That was the one. Literally, there's only one and that was the one. And that's when commitment is truly tested, when you get no's like that uh, all the time. And so uh, Sam and Alex's promise to better humanity has impacted so many. Is something that I think of time to time. Yeah. I mean, you've gotten to witness so many amazing examples of what it looks like to make and keep a promise. I'm curious if you reflect back, and this is a question from the audience, if you reflected back on your younger self prior to your father passing, prior to this movement, what advice would you give yourself? I think the the first thing I would say is, I know it sounds silly, but calendaring. I'm going to let that go because we already already talked about that. But it's just not being so tied to your emotions. You know, like emotions are good. It's important for us to have good mental health. And, and so those, that's not what I mean by not being tied to your emotions. It's just like, whatever, it's a little uncomfortable. It doesn't matter, man. Like you, you get over it. And, and it's, it's more important that you fulfill these commitments. But as I say that out loud, I honestly don't know if that's what I would say to myself. Because it wouldn't make any sense, really. Even as I'm saying it right now, it's like it's almost like this just do it kind of statement. That's easier said than done. I don't know if that's actionable. It just happens to be that's what you got to do. But I don't know if that would have benefited me at all. I think um, uh, probably another thing I would say to myself was like, uh, this is not about you. You know, 100% of my speaking engagement fees go to the charity. I make as much as a kindergarten teacher. I missed both my nieces being born. I've missed my friends' weddings. I um, my dog is right right here. Um, she will die when I'm on the road. I can almost guarantee it. I believe very deeply in the work of our charity. And when you visit schools and you talk to kids after assemblies and they tell you that they've been abused, that uh, that they're poor and they're embarrassed because their clothes aren't clean. When you go to prisons and you you talk to people who you know are going to get out and they're they're going to walk down the street next to me and you. You want all these people for very different reasons to be the best version of their, themselves. And so character education to me and volunteerism, the promises we make to help others in need is, is terribly important. And I would have sat myself down and, and said that uh, you're just going to have to let it go. Uh, nothing about what you have to do is going to change. You have to just accept it. Yeah. What, what have been some of the biggest promises that you've kept and fulfilled for yourself? Yeah. Uh, I think in a taking care of myself type of way, uh, sleep is a huge piece. I will not. I feel guilty for a lot of things for right or wrong reasons. I do not feel guilty about sleeping. It and I don't feel guilty about exercising. 
and and it doesn't really matter how much I do it. It's just not gonna. I'm not gonna let that affect me negatively because I know that when I sleep, when I exercise, it literally makes a more functional machine. Like physically getting out of the bed is easier. Keeping doing all the tasks that I have to do, I'm literally operating with a better machine. And I don't know how else to say that. It's almost like a car. It's like, yes, of course you have to change the oil. Yes, you need new tires. Don't feel guilty about putting new tires on your car. That makes it run better. It is safer. It's it's only common sense to do that because you want the machine to perform. And and that's the same thing with sleeping and eating. So that's a big commitment for me and 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 something that um, that I, I try to keep with. Yeah. Lynn asked a great question, which was, was there ever a promise that you made and kept that you wish you hadn't? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It, it was, that's like... Uh, no, so it, one of the things that we actually say in our code of honor, so our, our core values, what guides our character development programming in schools, and etc., is there's a statement in, in one of our seven elements um, that says, doing what is right is always more important than keeping a promise. Okay? Now... With with that statement, imagine this webinar. Or even even said in the beginning of this and this podcast, I, I said that you know even if I was five minutes late, you know I'd be like, oh, because I said it, guys, five minutes late. Well, if I was walking back to the office, and this is completely an exaggeration, just to make a point. But let's say I was walking back from the office, and there, I saw a kid literally drowning in a pot. I don't care about this promise. You know, I, I'll be an hour late, or I'll never come. You know, because doing what is right is more important than keeping a promise. It just so happens that keeping a promise usually, very, very often, is the right thing to do because we make so many of these commitments with the right intent. But it's not an absolute. And so mm-hmm. I have made promises that um, I've kept and, and felt that it wasn't the right thing. I mean, running a nonprofit organization con- comes with constant decisions of what programming are we going to build next? Should we build adult chapters for people to do volunteerism and keep promises? Or should we do high schools? Or actually middle schools maybe is better. Or prisons is better. Because corrections is such an area of need. I've made so many decisions and I've fulfilled those commitments. And then on the other side said, well, you know, it was probably better. A different direction was probably better. But I, I just still, I can't live in that. You know? Because what comes of that? Very yeah. little. A moment of reflection is good and healthy to make sure that I don't repeat mistakes. But after that, it's just uh, it's it's just a waste of time, you know. Yeah. What What do you say to somebody who, if uh, Tasha asked, what do we need to start doing so that we're living this and also in a way that we can inspire and empower others to live it as well? Yeah. What's the What's that lead domino for them? That That first domino for me is a code of honor, a a, a list of core values that you memorize that one sentence definition of what, when you say, I, I, these are three things. These are my five, five things that I value. When you say honesty, you know what you mean by honesty. And the reason why I believe that's so important is it becomes a very important filter to resist the impulses of poor de- that, that, that create poor decisions. So when you come to a moment uh, of challenge, you don't just do what you feel because often, honestly, what you feel is going to fade in five minutes from now and you might regret what you, what, what, what you did. So what I do is when I come to a, a challenge, I just send it through my code of honor. Is this the honest thing to do? Does this exhibit self-control? Is this, is this sacrifice? Is this compassion? You know, I go, I go through it 
And I almost think about it like uh, a courtroom to some degree. Some Without a court of code of honor, without some list of your values literally memorized, it's like operating in a courtroom as a judge with no laws. A five-day sentence for you, five months for you, five years for you. All the same thing, no consistency whatsoever. And for me, that code of honor is, is that set of rules that regulate and normalize your decisions, not in a boring way, not in a not in a way just to be predictable, to be predictable, but in a way that literally lives the way that you want to spend your finite amount of time on this, yeah, uh, on this planet. And so that's that's when that's that's. I, uh, I will I will share Jay Pavazan, my partner, who co-authored the one thing, um, did something very similar. You know, for him, values, family, impact, and abundance; those are the three. And when opportunities are put in front of him, he asks a question on a scale of one to ten, where one is not a fit and ten is a hundred percent aligned. How is this in terms of supporting my value of putting family first? How does this support impact? How does this support abundance? And if it's not a nine or ten on all three, he says no. Yeah, it's that straight up. So, folks, um, if you would like to learn more about Alex and the Because I Said I Would Movement, uh, we would encourage that you pick up the book. We know that you are likely here because you read the one thing at one point in time. Check out Because I Said I Would.com slash the book. Because I Said I Would.com slash the book. And the website is Because I Said I Would. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate uh, the message that you bring. We think it's highly relevant. And for those of you who are listening to this, I would just ask the question. Based on what you heard here today, when you go to do your next weekly 411, what will be different about it? When you go to declare that these are the priorities for the week so that I know that I'm on track for my month and my year, and when you go to time block those things, how will you, how will you view it differently so that honoring your time block is no longer a common frustration or challenge Honoring it is now the norm. That's our hope for you. Well, there you have it. Our conversation with Alex Sheen, part of our monthly One Thing webinar series. Folks, we have some amazing guests lined up for the upcoming webinars. Chris Hogan talking about everyday millionaires, along with many others coming up. Make sure you go to the onething.com, click on webinars and sign up for the next webinar. It's free. It's a no pitch We just do it to bring value to you and to expose you to these amazing, amazing authors. A few things that really stood out to me from this episode. First is be clear on why you are saying yes to what you're saying yes to and why you're saying no to what you're saying no to. What's that bigger purpose? Why? So that when things are tough or a little bit awkward, uh, there's a bigger reason to stick to your guns and say no. And when it comes to saying no, have a go-to no sentence. I love how Alex shared, hey, it would be easy for me to say yes right now, but I respect you too much to make a promise I can't keep. And if people really still push to say, you know, I really appreciate your passion and commitment. And for the reasons I discussed, my decision's not gonna change. I'm sorry, the answer is no. Here's the question for you. What's the one thing you're not doing that if you started doing immediately would make saying no easier or unnecessary? How much time do you really think you would need to block so that you could come up with just a go-to no sentence? And how many times do you really think you'd have to practice it? Even if it was just one time a day, how many days do you think you'd have to practice it before it just felt natural? Well, 
Maybe this is something you want to do a 66-day challenge around. Go to theonething.com, click on free stuff, download the 66-day challenge calendar, and every single day, say no to one thing. Because when you say yes to everything, you really just end up saying no to yourself. We hope that this episode has brought value to you. If you are new to the One Thing Podcast, please make sure you click that subscribe button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And I will tell you, there are some exciting changes coming to our training platform on theonething.com on the training page. You will see some foundation courses. These are very robust courses. Everything that you need to establish the foundations of living the one thing in roughly an hour or less. And I could very easily see the need for a how to say no course in the near future. So make sure you head over to theonething.com, click on the training page and check out the available trainings today. Thanks so much. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.